Hello, and welcome to Rocket Accelerated Geek Conversation. This episode is brought to you by Linode and Eero. I'm Simone de Rochefort, video producer at Polygon.com, and I'm joined today by Brianna Wu, Democratic candidate for Congress and Sick Ward resident, and Christina Warren, a senior cloud developer advocate for Microsoft. Hi. Hello. We are all back together. It's been Yay. like so long. It's oh only God. been two weeks, but those two weeks have been like the longest of my life. Yes. Um, so thank you, everybody, for uh, for putting up with the best of Rocket and for giving us your suggestions last week and to uh, Bree and Simone for recording the um, awesome ad readings. We're glad to be Yay. back. I just I feel like most of the time the best of a show is like, you know, it's just a clip show. But we genuinely had some awesome stuff. We really did. We really so, did. And, yeah. and we went like way back for some stuff, too, which was really cool. So it was exciting. Um, yeah, I liked it. <laughs> and horrifying to revisit. <laughs> <laughs> Clippy. And then there were suggestions where I was like, I literally don't remember this at all, which was <laughs> amazing. Uh, so Get, it's that kind would make a lot of sense, Simone. Like you black out during the show <laughs> and then another personality takes over, like Indigo Prophecy, and then you just wake up at the end of Rocket. That oh would my explain God, a great many you're things. Right. It would. Or 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 um if you guys remember the uh brief Christina Applegate sitcom from the early two thousands called Samantha Who, it was quite good. I don't. I don't. It's I maybe her. you don't because yeah. you were Samantha. <laughs> I don't. I don't know what that show's about. I. I don't know. No, why. The idea was that she would do stuff at night. She would black out, like have another person, and not remember the night before. Like she would kind of create these these personalities and never know what happened. Wow. Or what she girl. did the night before. Yeah, it was really good. It was actually a really funny show. I feel like her level of talent has always been underestimated, and I, I feel 1, like she has not agreed. gotten the credit she deserves. In my opinion. I agree. I agree. I, I think that it's a shame that like she's not working actively and and because um, she's really funny and really talented. Anyway, that'll be our next investigation. Our individual investigation on Rocket will be whatever happened to Christina Applegate. But for now, I guess we'll we'll talk about someone else's good reporting, uh, which is Nicholas Thompson and Fred Vogelstein at Wired published recently their huge expose or. Yeah, into Facebook, into the last two years of Facebook uh, from the lead up to the 2016 election to like the last year dealing with the fallout of that election, uh, speaking to many people inside the company and kind of starting at at the beginning with something that we covered on Rocket, which was... uh, the the team that was responsible for Facebook's news feed back when Facebook's news feed was curated by actual people. And one thing I did not know that I actually learned from this story was that the people who were curating that news feed uh, were journalism graduates. Yeah. So that's where J school gets you kids. But uh, yeah, they were contractors. <laughs> they, they, they were contractors. So um, a couple of the people did work full time at Facebook, but most mm-hmm. of the people were contractors. And it was kind of um, a situation where they would like, work out of Facebook offices, mm-hmm. but they weren't given access to like the snacks or or the, the other you know like like typical vendor <laughs> stuff and that's you really know, the root of all downfall but no seriously this story uh is incredible and so it good. really puts into perspective in a a very uh concise way all the events of the last two years that we've talked about a lot on this show but it, it weaves them together into a, a narrative that and i i haven't I haven't seen that done before. So this was really 
interesting for me to read. Brie, were you about to say something? I thought I heard your voice. No, no, no. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was probably trying to cough. So. Oh, poor yeah, you. Yeah, no, it was, it was really good. Uh, Fred, Fred Vogelstein, who co-wrote the article, um, Brie has mentioned him before, his book, um, uh, Dogfight, about kind of the, the making of Android and um, the iPhone and kind of their competition. It's one of the, my one of my favorite business books that I've read in the last few years. Um, and um, I would not be surprised if, if this becomes the basis of, of another kind of book kind of looking at Mm-hmm. what's happened at Facebook, because it's really interesting how um, the article kind of goes into starting with the criticism about, and it wasn't the newsfeed, it was this trending topics um, sidebar or, yeah, thing, sorry, you I know, misspoke. area. Um, no, just just to clarify, because there are two different products. One is like what shows up like on your feed. The other was like kind of the sidebar, kind of like, you know, t- Twitter's, you know, trending stories uh, thing. I think that's what, what it was even called. Um but, you know, uh, there was a, you know, suspect, a, a former, uh, you know, employee had said that there was a anti-conservative bias and and there were some investigations into that and, and that Facebook's kind of fear of, of regulation and of, um, you know, making people mad maybe made them more lax and less willing to um, confront um, some of the, the other things that happened in the course of the election, as well as some of the other content that has kind of happened um, on Facebook. And and I think kind of putting that into context around their fears of regulation and mm-hmm. um, which is the which is the primary thing I think was really interesting. Um, there was a kind of an update. I don't know if either of you saw it, but uh, the, the Code Media Conference is happening this week. Um, and uh, Kara Swisher was interviewing Campbell Brown and Adam Masari, who's like the head of news. And asking them, I think, some questions, uh, kind of driving, uh, frankly, from from this Wired uh, story and, and some other things. And it was sort of interesting because in the article, it kind of, you know, tells the story about the the various journalism efforts at Facebook and how they've kind of floundered over the years. And, and the end note is that they're still kind of committed to this journalism project. But I kind of read it and I was like, okay, so when does Campbell Brown's contract expire? Because I don't see her being at the company all that long. Because I, I just don't think that Facebook, you know, needs news. I think they're kind of coming to the realization that if we got rid of all this stuff altogether and made publishers angry, it ultimately won't affect our bottom line. And that was kind of what Campbell Brown said when she was being asked questions by by Kara Swisher um, at, at the Code Media Conference. Um, you know, when, when, when I pointedly asked some of this stuff, she was like, well, you know, publishers don't have to use us. Yeah, um, that, that was, uh, I think the stat was something like 5% of Facebook's traffic is news. And I'll verify that by searching that inside the story. But I think it, I want to back up and provide some, I guess, context for who the major actors in this story are, which are Facebook, which wants to not be seen as an organization that is influencing news because that could change how they're treated by the government. Exactly. Uh, The government, which wants whatever it wants, and news media organizations, which want traffic from Facebook and don't want to be disenfranchised by Facebook. Uh, So one of the major instigating incidents of this was when uh, the story broke about the the trending news being influenced by people with journalism degrees who were fact-checking things. Uh, There was an outcry from conservatives, uh, both in government and in conservative media, who were like, well, that's bias. And uh, were sort of throwing their weight around, uh, speaking of, of Rupert Murdoch specifically, news media. Um, or is that the, that's the name of his company? 
That uh, seems uh, 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 News Corp. News Corp. Thank you. I was like, wait, that's very vague and broad. That seems wrong. Uh, th- th- throwing his weight around saying that stories about Facebook in in the news could uh, more more negative stories about Facebook could right. Be I mean, he, he in was the basically. News. I mean, they inferred. He claims that he wasn't doing this, but but there was an inference that you know um, coverage of, of of Facebook in um, uh, news corp owned publications, which includes Fox News, which includes the Wall Street Journal, which includes you know um, the New York Post, which includes uh, Sky News uh, uh, in in the UK, uh, and a bunch of uh, ones in Australia, could suddenly become more critical. Of Facebook, and as kind of proof of that, they were kind of pointing out that you know when um, they'd gone after when when News Corp and and, and kind of some you know uh, Murdoch's people had gone after Google over some privacy things in Europe. That kind of led directly to some of the GDPR um, regulations that exist now around privacy things, and, mm-hmm. and that Google wound up being uh, fined quite significantly for. Mm-hmm. And it just comes off as in the end, Facebook not wanting to be responsible for the things that have happened on its platform, both because of this uh, Communications Decency Act that is talked about uh, multiple times in the piece, where if Facebook is seen as curating content, they could become legally responsible for the content of, say, the millions and millions of users who post stuff on their platform, which would be hugely detrimental to them. But that means that they can't take a firm stance against publishers' content as well. Right. Um, That's also the law that they cite when they can't take they claim they can't take down revenge porn or yep. you know, any number of other things. Like they throw that up. So there is I realize that's a law that's very good for Facebook and does have scalability problems, but it sure creates a lot of problems for the rest of us out there. Yeah, it does. Um, yeah. I, I guess I want to say like I feel like the 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 thread I got from this piece is it didn't it didn't really bring anything new, I thought, to the table. Like, I kind of knew all this already, but really wove it into a narrative. And, like, I think most of us look at the way that Facebook is acting, and I think we kind of get this idea that they aren't really in control of what they've created. But the thing that really hit me from this piece, and I'd love to get your opinion on this, Christina, is, like, I don't think help is coming for the 2018 election. No. I don't think they're going to get this under control. And I, I don't think they are going to be in a place to be able to solve any of these problems. Yeah, no, I would agree with you on that. And I think that more to the point, more pointedly, I don't think they care. Yeah. Um, I think that they care insofar as it is a PR nightmare and it is yeah. increasingly becoming a PR nightmare. And that's when they have to start paying attention to it. But I don't think they care. I mean, I think that they care insofar as if fake news sources and fake other things start to maybe impact the amount of money advertisers are willing to spend on Facebook, then maybe they would be more inclined to start policing things more robustly. And, and in fact, you, you did kind of see some of that even in the piece kind of talks about how, you know, some of the, the different things they kind of, you know, railed against uh, some of the, the, the fake ad networks and, and, and fake pages and, and fake buying things. But as, and, and as you say, like the, the piece wasn't necessarily revealing a lot of new things, but it put everything in a great narrative. And, and I think that it, it confirmed things that some people thought, you know, with, with actual reporting and with quotes from people, um, either either current or former executives, and um, and and that context, I think, was really important. But I think that, uh, yeah, I mean, when it comes to some of the the election stuff, 
when you look at some of the changes that Facebook has made to the feed, which um, you know happened a couple of weeks ago, in which they're continuing to roll out, you know they're they're saying more and more we are going to prioritize what your friends post and the content they share, and that doesn't then that means that pages you like um, you know won't won't show up as much. But that doesn't really there's not really a whole lot being said as far as and they're also saying okay there will kind of be a credibility rating that publishers won't know about that will kind of we will kind of choose how credible or how, you know, a uh, lack of, uh, how not credible is this organization and, and we'll kind of weigh that on, on on how we show things. But they're, but again, they're kind of keeping that in a black box. And I think that um, they, in a perfect role, I don't think they want to deal with any of it at all. I, I, they, they don't like the blowback that, that Facebook was getting, but even in like the reporting, you know, it, it pointed out that, um, Facebook's, uh, you know, how long it took Facebook to see that the, the ad buys that were happening were coming from Russia, um, that it took um, other sources kind of looking at the data and saying, why weren't you looking at what was paid for in rubles? Why weren't you looking at, you know, computers where the, the, the default language was set to Russia? Why weren't you looking at certain regions of IP addresses, you know, and, and they, they weren't looking at certain signals to really see where stuff was coming from and wonder, why are these places buying this mm. sort of content? And is there something off here? And 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 the only thing I could kind of take from it was that they don't want to know, um, but but yeah, to your point, Bree, I don't I don't think that help is coming for for, for the 2018 election, and um, I think that what's probably going to happen is you're going to see Mark Zuckerberg go on his continuous kind of like tour of America, kind of you know pack sort of thing, um, and and I think they're gonna, but I do think that they're going probably going to be greater calls from both sides of the aisle about potential regulation of mm-hmm. Facebook. I don't, I don't. I, I really don't. I think like they are completely oblivious to these forces. And I also think like Facebook has so much power over a modern campaign. I mean, I love Twitter, but like Facebook ads right. work, you know? No, you're, you're um, dead on. They do. I mean, I'm not yeah. saying that the, the regulation would come in time for, for the 2018s because it wouldn't, but I do think sure. that there are going to be more calls about that, especially as stories like this get more traction, just because uh, I, I think that, that people, uh, especially legislators tend to get freaked out by kind of the big picture thing about how much data and power some of these companies have, um, whether or not it would even work. I mean, the, we, we talk about, you know, regulation, but, but I'm not convinced that regulation would necessarily prevent, um, you know, the, these, uh, nefarious, you know, campaigns from, from taking place, you mm-hmm. know? Um, no, I and- agree with that. I think something we've got to come to grips with, and I was, I was talking to Joshua Topolsky about this, uh, this week, you know, we're really coming to grips with the fact that Facebook is bad for literally everyone. It's bad for me as a candidate to have to spend so much time raising money to them pouring into Facebook ads. It's really bad for publishers. It's unbelievably bad for publishers to the point that, you know, we're seeing places close right and left. And, you know, here it's even the news that ends up getting to the consumer isn't vetted. It's not accurate. It's bad for local mm-hmm. communities. I mean, it's so unbelievably bad from every way it could be. And I don't know how we start to fix this. This is what I was talking to Joshua Topolsky about. I'm like, how how do we fix this? Like, you run a publishing company. Like, what is the answer here? And, you know, he said he thought the the best answer is to start to look into Facebook's uh, monopolistic business practices. And, you know, there's so many things to go after Facebook about. But that at the core, like, that is really the problem. Because you you have 
you can't have another rival social media company that's going to come up and even rival Facebook at this mm-hmm. point because they'll just copy your features and, you know, yep. there it is. It's it's the death star of social media. Mm-hmm. I want to uh, touch briefly on uh, this line. The, the article refers to what Facebook is doing now as an earnest attempt for Facebook to right the ship that it has steered into the shoals of misinformation. And that was, for me, the part that I most disagreed with, because I, like you alluded to, Brie, I, I, I don't think that Facebook, I don't necessarily trust that Facebook can or earnestly wants to do things in the sense that they would be willing to say cut out organizations like Breitbart or other like completely completely false often conservative news sources i i don't think that the the system that they have of asking users to rate the trustworthiness of news organizations is a good one even if they know that it's probably going to be targeted by 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 groups trying to influence it badly and it, even if they have a, a way to deal with that it i think that what they're doing isn't enough and i don't necessarily believe that the attempts are earnest if that makes sense yeah no, yeah, no I, I, I agree I, I agree with that i i think there's a certain amount of frustration on my part that you know they have all these measures in place to prevent women or people of color from posting, um, you know, screenshots of, of comments that happen in their own posts of people abusing them. And those people will, will get banned from, from, from the site for a number of days. They have, you know, pretty uh, robust rules in place about, you know, people being forced to use real names going to so far as to say if, if they don't, you know, uh, recognize or, or can't somehow recognize your name asking for your driver's license and, and other ID, you know, which things which seem, which, which seem, you know, really, really, that seems like a, a huge overreach. Um, but yet they, they don't have a problem with, with, you know, having just, as you said, kind of blatant lies, not only being shared on the platform, which I'm going to be honest about, I don't have a problem with it. If, if an individual wants to share something that is a complete falsity that they believe that is completely crazy, if they want to share Alex mm. Jones nonsense on their feed. I'm fine with that. What I'm not okay with is taking the money to promote those posts mm-hmm. and 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 get yeah. them to be more to spread more in the feed. Mm-hmm. But I'm actually completely and I've I've made this comment on, on our show before, and and not everyone has to agree with me. But I'm actually completely okay with letting people post content to you know whatever terrible stupid stuff they want. If that's what you want to do, fine. But um, because <laughs> because I, I feel like you you kind of go down a slippery slope when you start kind of approving and disproving content. You know, provided it's not you know illegal, um, but but I have a real problem when you start to take money from those places and and start profiting off of it and, mm-hmm. and start saying to these publishers, these fake publishers, oh well, you can reach these audiences and target these people with these sorts of ads and these sorts of con- this sort of content, which is exactly that what I- happened with Trump's campaign, that, and also exactly. it's something else that's mentioned in the article, which is uh, that. Like a, it was an anti-vaccine group, the example of an anti-vaccine group. If you like an anti-vaccine group, then you will start to see recommendations for other conspiracy groups like flat earth right. groups and pizza. So clearly this, these are recognized as conspiracy groups. The algorithm is grouping them together, not maybe not as conspiracies, but it's grouping them together for a reason because people who are interested in one are willing to believe the others. 
And right. that that's such a huge red flag for me that it and it refers to it as a conveyor belt of conspiracy thinking that just by even if you are in liking and engaging with something that your friend is posting, it can alter the way that your feed looks and what is served up to you and put people in a, a very bad environment. Yeah. Yep. Dead on. Cool. Dead on. Absolutely. This episode of Rocket is brought to you by Linode. With Linode, you'll have access to a suite of powerful hosting options with prices starting at $5 a month. And you'll be up and running with your own virtual server in the Linode cloud in under a minute. Linode has hundreds of thousands of customers who are all serviced by their friendly 24-7 support team. You can email them, you can call them, you can even chat over IRC in the Linode community. They know how important it is that you get the help that you want, and they also have a suite of amazing guides and support documentation to give you a reference when you need it. Linode's intuitive control panel will allow you to deploy, boot, resize, snapshot, and clone your virtual servers in just a few clicks. And they feature two-factor authentication to keep you safe, which you know I care about. Linode has fantastic pricing options available. Their plans start at one gigabyte of RAM for only $5 a month, and they offer high memory plans starting with 16 gigabytes of RAM. And of course... Because you're listening to this show, you know I'm going to tell you something cool. I'm going to tell you that if you sign up with at linode.com slash rocket, L-I-N-O-D-E dot com slash rocket, you'll not only be supporting us, but you'll get $20 towards any Linode plan. On the one gigabyte of RAM plan, that's four free months. And there's a seven-day money-back guarantee, so... What do you have to lose? Nothing. Nothing. I have nothing to lose, Simone. That's great to hear. I'm so glad. What are you going to do? I'm going to go to linode.com slash rocket, and I'm going to sign up today to get $20 towards any Linode plan. How do you spell that again? It's linode, L-I-N-O-D-E dot com slash rocket, R-O-C-K-E-T, to learn more. Sign up and take advantage of that $20 credit that you told me about. Thank you. Oh, how good. Or use the promo code ROCKET2018 at checkout. Also, that works. If you don't go to linode.com slash rocket, you use that promo code ROCKET2018, R-O-C-K-E-T-2018 at checkout. Are you doing this ad right now or am I doing it? I'm doing it now. Okay. (laughs) Thank you, Linode, for supporting Rocket and Relay FM. Oh my God! Okay, I'm I back. I, I don't even know what just happened. Yeah, I, I, I don't either. I, I but don't. I'm I'm in love. <laughs> I'm yeah. like absolutely in love. Simone, you could do this whole podcast yourself. You, you really know, could. Yeah. Just your different personality. I actually don't know what you're talking about. I, I stepped away from my computer for a second there. Oh, okay. Uh, I, I just came back. Did the ad read happen? No. No. Yeah, oh, no, we, okay. we didn't get Should any I do of it that. Again? Should no. I do you guys handled it? It's all taken care of. Oh, okay. It's good. Okay, okay. Thank you. Thank you. Sorry I, I just walked away <laughs> for a second there. I heard some weird noises in my room while I was gone though. Did there wasn't anything weird happening, was there? Nothing weird happened. <laughs> 
Can I just say, while we've been recording Rocket, Quinn Norton got hired and fired from I know. the New York Times? Oh uh, yeah, no. Well, she well wow. she, she was she was fired uh, about thirty minutes before we started. But yeah. Right. Oh my I, god. Uh, I wanted to talk about that, but but oh my god, I have thoughts on that. Let's we not could get do into it, it for anyway. the third topic if you want. Well, I mean, uh, we can't. Anyway, then you yeah. could leave uh, watch the bike for next week. Yeah, yeah, that's fine with me. Okay, I'm that's, actually that's cool. well enough to use it to have one yeah, yeah, a little preview for the listeners. Yeah, there we <laughs> for go. For what our third there topic will be. Now you know. Exciting. Oh, goodness. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's continue on this uh, Facebook train by talking about a great uh, piece from BuzzFeed that's just like the perfect palette cleanser for, for Wired's piece. This is from Charlie Warzel, uh, which is an interview with Aviv Avadia. Uh, about what he is terming the infocalypse, the which is info and apocalypse, but mashed together in a way that doesn't make it easy to say. So instead of infopocalypse, it's infocalypse. It's, it's like infogra. Yeah, I, I don't know how to say. It. Yeah, you're right. That is hard to say. Infocalypse. Yeah, or infocalypse, which doesn't make it recognizable as a pun with. A- apocalypse but the point is not to uh tear apart the the very poor choice of a name for the thing that will destroy humanity but uh basically it's all about uh his uh research uh he's he's a researcher and he has been noticing trends ongoing about the ways that news or information is distorted basically through the tools that we now have uh such as for example deep fakes uh the community the reddit community that began producing um porn using ai generated porn basically where it you put celebrities faces onto yeah porn we performers. talked about this yes which we talked about on the show uh, which is an example of misin- video misinformation that when it was first uh, when it first sprung up, it was pretty recognizable as fake. But the greater point is, of course, that those tools exist and can only become more refined. Um, and some of the other examples are uh, f- fake lip syncing created using audio and then putting that into a video that makes it look that makes you visualize the person saying those words. Um, and Many, many other examples of ways that information can be distorted using the technological tools at our disposal. I mean, this is a, I think this is a really concerning story for a lot of reasons, because I I really think everything in this piece is going to come true. I mean, it talks about how we have better and better algorithms these days to basically manufacture news. Um, and you know, it's about to get a lot more sophisticated. Simone, you mentioned deep fakes. I think it's really only going to be a matter of time before, you know, you see some political candidate and like some YouTube video of them doing crimes or just outrageous things that never happened. Um, I, what really concerns me is the fact that, uh, what this piece is talking about with like um, reality exhaustion. I mean, do y'all feel this every day? Because I do. It's like you're on Twitter and you're reading the most horrible things that are going on or like the outrage machine that just is angry all the time. And at a certain point, like you just kind of, even I, like I I just tune it out, right? Because you can't process it all the time. Mm -hmm. And like what I see happening here is I I can see us going on a trajectory where you're just getting so much 
unbelievably damning news about everyone you don't like all the time that like society can't even basically function at a certain level or even, you know, agree on what a common set of facts are. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, this is, I I think this is going to happen. What do you think, Christina? Yeah, no, I mean, it, 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 it's just, it's crazy, right? Like I, it's like we are going to be living in, in Skynet at some point. Yeah, I definitely I I feel that so often, even with stories that I am sure are not from bad actors, but just from from even just a a general story of hardship in someone's life, it at a certain point becomes difficult to to sort of stomach them because you're so tired of seeing everything being on fire. Um, and unfortunately everything is on fire, uh, which yeah. is the greater problem. And yeah, right. there, there is no, I, I do not see a way out of this fragmentation and partisanship, especially when it comes to like, if we have crap like Pizzagate, mm-hmm. what happens when there is video evidence which up until now and perhaps we have passed the point where this has happened but up until now has been an arbiter of like okay i see that that thing is happening i can accept that it's happening and that's not always the case i'm not saying that's always the case but it is it is a sort of comforting baseline and it is it will not be true and perhaps it is already untrue i mean yeah everything we see in movies is cgi and we accept that right because it kind of becomes like okay like maybe skynet was the wrong maybe maybe the matrix is a better example right it's like Mm -hmm. what is real and what is not and 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 what is reality and and you start asking these questions because the the fakes are getting so real that you're right you almost have to double triple quadruple check because they're getting so good that you have to kind of question because it used to be you see a photograph, you know that it's true. And then, you know, photos, the shop got good enough and, and, and easy enough to create things that you're like, okay, well, can't go by that. And then it was like, well, if I hear it, you know, it's true. And then, you know, audio stuff is getting good enough that if that's not quite accurate. And now it's, it's moving to video and, and, and like, what's kind of the next move of, you know, not just like face swapping things, but, but full on, you know, body movements. It's, it's, it's really interesting to kind of um, see how people can create you know, before we were talking about kind of the conspiracy groups kind of taking over Facebook and things like that. And it's like, you can see how these things can proliferate because people literally can create really interwoven worlds. Like, okay, this is an example that is not scary and it's stupid, but it's one that I'm going to share just to kind of show. Mm-hmm. There, a couple of years ago, uh, the, the the former One Direction uh, band member, uh, Louis Tomlinson, had a child. Yes. And a number of his of his fans, uh, because for many years they've they've believed that he is in a long term relationship with Harry Styles, um, d- does not believe the baby is his. Like uh, some of them go to the point where they don't actually believe that the baby exists. So wow. um, they they've they've gone through and these and these aren't all teenage girls, although it certainly is a lot of teenage girls. Plenty of these are adult women who are freaking crazy who like dissect the photos and look at them and then create like these ridiculous master posts on Tumblr, dissecting every single aspect to be like, see, this is why this is a real doll and this is not a real baby. And, 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 and this photo was taken from this one and this angle was used in this way. And, you know, you, you look at it and, and, you know, you're like, this is nuts, but you can kind of, if you just kind of glance at it from the top, you're like, I kind of see what you're saying. Like you, you don't believe it, but, but they can make a good enough argument just based on, 
what they call as like forensic proof. And so when we live in a world where people are doing that just with with real stuff, mm-hmm. when you have this 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 increasing world of of you know um, AI and all sorts of other things kind of creating these fake things, it's like how much more could this stuff kind of proliferate? Mm-hmm. And it's largely true that reality, if you if you do look at it closely enough, you can never explain to perfect logical sense like why someone does what they do or why a a baby looks the way it does. Like it, it is very easy to poke holes in things that are real just because the the human mind is very good at justifying things to itself. Oh, so yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> As I, mean, I think we can all know, attest. Something I think about a lot is I I don't think it's necessarily good for society that none of us really read the same paper, mm-hmm. you know, anymore. Yeah, I remember growing up and like you would actually subscribe to a newspaper and have an editorial board. It would have zero diversity on that editorial board. It would be owned by like the rich family in town that controlled the press. But, you know, generally speaking, when we were having a conversation about the budget deficit or a war, we were all talking about the same set of facts, right? And the way I see this going, it's you know, I, I fully admit, like, I read a lot more Washington Post or New York Times than I do, like, you know, Fox News. And essentially, like, you're kind of living in your own world after a while. So I, I think what we're going to see is this is really going to exacerbate it. I mean, imagine how much worse the 2020 elections are going to be when, because I do believe these tools will be, you know, good enough for 4chan to operate with at that time, where mm-hmm. you can like Photoshop uh, or deep fakes a video of Trump doing anything, mm-hmm. or whoever the nominee is, like you can create a video of them doing anything, you know, it's like the the quote, like the amount of energy to refute bullshit is like, uh, you know, one tenth of what it is to create it. Yeah, we are going to be dealing with that hardcore. And it doesn't help like it doesn't help when for a third story we're going to get into today. You know, I really see some of our, you know, journalistic watchdogs really falling. I think the New York Times has really been sucking lately, not really necessarily for Quinn Norton, but I think there's a a really good reason to be um, concerned with some of the editorial choices they've been making lately. So, you know, when you have like the system where the gatekeepers aren't doing a good job yeah. and you can create any reality you want and the nation's ready to prime and tear itself apart, this isn't good, guys. This is pretty bad. <laughs> when you mentioned the 2020 right. election, I was almost right. like, God, I never want to go through another election. And then I was like, don't right. say that in this age of fascism. Yeah, <laughs> I love democracy. <laughs> I'm so looking forward to participating in it this year and in years to come. This episode of Rocket is brought to you by Eero. Never think about Wi-Fi again. Eero have created the dream Wi-Fi setup, a fast, reliable connection throughout your house and even in the backyard. And now is the best time to get on board with Eero because they've just released their new super slick second generation devices. Eero have introduced a tri-band second generation model along with Eero Beacon, which lets you have a Wi-Fi system that's perfectly tailored to your home. 
The new second generation Eero includes a third 5 gigahertz radio, making it twice as fast as before. This lets you do more than ever. Whatever your Wi-Fi needs, Eero has the power to blanket your entire home in fast, reliable Wi-Fi. And down at the racetrack, that's just what I need. It sits flat on any surface. Just plug it into the wall with the included power adapter and you'll be ready to connect your Eero either with Ethernet or wirelessly. The new Eero also includes a new Thread Radio, which lets you connect to low-power devices such as locks, doorbells, and more, so that during the purge you can keep everyone out of your home. Eero are introducing the new Eero Beacon as well. You just plug that into a wall and you expand your Eero Wi-Fi coverage to that room. What? It's so easy. And you can add as many Eero Beacons as you want, so long as you have an Eero device. And it even includes a built-in LED nightlight with an ambient light sensor. Oh my god. Yes. And of course, you can manage this all from an app in the palm of your hand. So it's like, what, what, how easier, how much easier could it get? I'm so mad. <laughs> what? What's next? Eero, can I turn on the Wi-Fi with my brain? God. Oh, their customer support's good too. Great. A Wi-Fi expert in just 30 seconds? Are you kidding me? I can just set it all up easily, and then if I make a mistake, I'll have a Wi-Fi expert in 30 seconds? Oh my god! Where does this end? Brianna. Yes. Have you ever tried to get a hold of a Wi-Fi expert with Eero? Uh... Let's see. I did when uh, I uh, I had a problem with my order, and they uh, were very nice to me, and they rerouted it and sent me out another one. So yes, it was oh my a fantastic God. experience. That's ridiculous. <laughs> How was the setup process? Uh, it was super easy. I literally got it. Uh, you know, it's sometimes you get these products and you like think they're over promising. It really is like you plug the Ethernet wire it's into so it and then you plug these around your house and it verifies that the connection between them is good and you're done and you never have to mess with it again. It is the best product on the market by a mile. I um I did a, a test between a bunch of these mesh um uh, router setups and uh, I I didn't use the 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 current Euro I used the the first one the current one I think um is is even faster to set up for the satellite ones because you just plug them into the wall yep um but uh but the other ones they they all kind of look the same size um and to set up the first one because I timed it and I believe it was like two minutes and forty seconds to get just the initial router set up and then it was maybe another ninety seconds or so to get the satellites done. Uh, which is crazy when you think about it. I mean, you literally you download an app onto your onto your phone and your tablet, and you go through the setup process, and that's it. It's it walks you through the whole thing. Um, you if you want to get something for your parents, if you're looking for kind of a, a you, if you've had like a, an Apple uh, you know Airport Extreme, and you're like, okay, I need to get a new one, and you don't know where to turn because Apple's never going to update that product again. Eero, uh, I I like highly recommend, one hundred percent. You know what you can do is pick up the new Eero system for three ninety nine. That's one second generation Eero and two beacons. That's all that you need to get started. Uh, and listeners of the show can get free overnight shipping to the U.S. or Canada when you head to Eero.com and use the promo code ROCKET. That's E-E-R-O.com with the promo code ROCKET for free overnight shipping. So thank you so much, Eero, for your support of Rocket and Relay FM. 
Now let's talk about something that we all love, which is the reliability of the New York Times opinion section. (laughs) So (laughs) this literally just happened over the course of the show. And I I had to, okay, well, the New York Times opinion section has been not great for a while, but (laughs) I digress. Uh, Quinn Norton, who I will let you fill in the background on who she is, because I just heard of her, was hired by the New York Times as a quote-unquote lead opinion writer on the power, culture, and consequences of technology. And now she has suffered the consequences of technology when immediately uh, her old bad tweets were found not by the New York Times uh, hiring people, which would have been nice, but um, by Twitter users who pointed out that she has used... Uh, homophobic slurs in the past and is friends with Nazis uh, and has made, quote-unquote, Daily Beast says, racially insensitive tweets. Yeah, I kind of want to provide a little bit of context here. Please um, do, because I am very new to this topic. Because... Yeah, because I, I don't I don't think it's fair to, to I, I want to pro- provide the proper context because I'm going to be honest with my own kind of biases here. I'm not super comfortable with how this went down and, and how she lost uh, her job hours after it was announced. I, I'm, I'm really not. I'm not defending her statements. I'm not defending who she's friends with. I'm super uncomfortable with what happened. But Quinn Norton is uh, a very, very good writer. I think first should be said. If you read her report, it, her reporting that's been that's been in Wired, that's been, uh, I think, in, in most, she's been in a lot of big publications. She's had her own Patreon and Medium stuff. She's very, very good um, and, and very nuanced um, and, and writes really intelligently about communities and about technology and about culture. And on the surface, when this news was announced, I actually thought, I was like, this is a really interesting hire. She's somebody who could bring a really interesting voice to these things. And then I immediately was like, oh, but the fact that that she has um she's friends and and um you know has profiled and has hung out with very problematic and gross individuals is going to become an issue. So the, the the big crux of things is that she is known and, and has called him a friend, even though she has in, in, in a later tweet sort of kind of acknowledged that they don't really talk anymore. She knows uh, the, the uh, Andrew Alheimer uh, Weave, who uh, you know is a notorious troll. Um, he's one of the people behind now the Daily Stormer. Uh, he's a gross, terrible, awful person. Um, uh, he has no redeeming qualities whatsoever. Uh, but she has said publicly, you know, for years on Twitter and other things, um, you know, she said, you know. I hate what he stands for. I, I don't agree with what he says, but but he's my friend. And she's written, um, and, and she's kind of held that position about other people who would would hold distasteful um, and, and and views that that I personally wouldn't hold. Um, the, the the tweets where she's using the slurs in specific uh, were, in many cases, I think they were in some cases actually done for like a Wired article about anonymous speak. And so when you look at them in the context of how the language is being used, not to say that it, it doesn't come across gross and that it's not you know, problematic and that maybe I wouldn't use it, it changes the tone completely, I think, um, when, when, you, when you view it all in context. Um, and you know, she, one of the things that she was really good at, especially with her anonymous coverage for Wired, was, was kind of getting into these communities, um, especially kind of hacky communities and kind of these subculture things and really just kind of shedding the light on what's happening there. And to do that, a lot of times you do have to kind of speak that language. But she's never been shy from the fact that she hangs out with and knows people who are, by most people's accounts, not great people. I, I don't know this woman. I, I don't. I'm sure if I went through her you know, her work, I would find stuff that I've written. Um, 
And I I agree with you, Christina. I mean, if you're a reporter, you're going to hang out with some pretty terrible people. Like that's that's just part of the job. Well, especially her beat. Her 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 beat specifically, I would right. say. But, yeah. So, I mean, I guess I would say this. You know, I've had um I don't mind saying this on the show. I had Randy Lee Harper go after me uh in a very similar vein, saying that I was palling around with Nazis because I did a chapter in a book with Tara Wheeler and mm-hmm. Tara Wheeler is friends with Weave. And she went after me because I am friends with someone that's friends with, that casually knows Weave. Um, and, you know, there are people that that find that, that have a problem with that. I, I, I kind of get uncomfortable when it's like just knowing someone casually or throughout the course of your work is cause to be fired from a job. If you look up Quinn Norton on Twitter right now, the very first thing it says is Nazi. Now, right. I don't she's know not, her I've, work mm-hmm. that she's much. She's never espoused. I don't, I don't see any evidence that she is. And that look, seems I, I, like a, yeah. yeah, that seems like I, a dangerous. I don't dangerous, know her personally. Right. I agree. I don't know her personally, but I've read her work for many years. I think she's an incredible writer, even if I don't agree with the people that she necessarily maybe, you know, could consider friends. Sure. Um, what I will say in in defense of her, and I, I said this much on Twitter, she's never hidden from this this stuff. You know, when, when people brought up to her kind of things, well, like, well, how could you, you know, be friends with Weave? And she, because when, what kind of gives some backstory in 2014 after after Weave was was uh, was released from jail after his sentence was overturned, he's he's a notorious troll. The New York Times wrote about him in 2008. Um, he's a, a pretty terrible person. He was arrested under the Computer Fraud Prevention Act um, for um, leaking or, or helping leak uh, the the AT and T iPad details. Um, and it, it it he he wound up you know getting convicted under under this act. This was the same act that that Aaron Schwartz was was being charged under and. A lot of people in the tech press and in the internet freedom press really kind of rallied around this case and said that this was an overact um, in in um, you know uh, prosecution that they were really kind of you know using the law in the wrong way and and that he was not guilty of a crime he was guilty merely guilty of like you know typing in a web address and um, I think that you can take the point of view which I take which is that Weave is a terrible awful you know no good excuse for a human being but he also. Um, should not have been charged with a crime under that act. Um, my, in my personal opinion, I think that a lot of reporters who were covering the, the, that trial created him almost as a folk hero and kind of wrote off some of the more disturbing aspects of his personality, which had been well established, and that anybody who spent any time around him or any time looking at his posting history and various things would have known about him, um, and, and, and obscured that fact so that they could kind of sell that this guy is being railroaded by this bad law story. Yep. As soon as he comes out of jail... He, um, you know, winds up getting a couple weeks later, he winds up getting a swastika tattoo and then he starts kind of, you know, very uh, violently kind of, you know, writing for anti-Semitic websites and, and being very public about that stuff. And to, to this point, you know, his anti-Semitism and, and his racism hadn't been a secret, but it hadn't been something that the the tech press had really um, focused on. And at this point, people had to kind of come to grips with this guy that, you know, Vice was palling around with, literally like picked up from jail and partying with is, is a Nazi. I will say this in defense of Quinn Norton. She never once denied this. And in fact, she was kind of clear on this from the beginning. She was like, you know, it, it took this for you guys to realize that he's this heinous, you know, white, you know, nationalist guy. Um, it was never hidden. And, and I think that there is something to be said about someone who's going to not 
hide that fact. I think that the plenty of outlets, though, did completely diminish that. And, and it wasn't part of the reporting because that doesn't make as neat of a story. So people, especially after Charleston, uh, started kind of bringing up past things to her. And, and she would say in a way that you frankly can't be nuanced about the sort of thing saying, you know, um, I can be friends with terrible people, um, yeah. even if those aren't her views. So that was kind of that background with, with, with that stuff. But, but, you know, regardless, she, she gets this job offer or not job offer. She gets the job. It, it's announced and people immediately start combing through the tweets and, and bringing up the most problematic things. And, and within a few hours, the New York times basically reneges on, on their decision to hire her. I right. want to get you guys' opinion, but I just want to say what bothers me about this I don't have a problem if the New York Times doesn't want to hire someone because of things that they've tweeted in the past or or views they might hold, which is to say I can be friends with someone even if they're even if they're terrible people. I might not hold their views, but I can still be friends with them. If that's a hiring decision, if that's what you want to make and you want to say I can't hire that person, that's fine with me. Or if you, you look at past tweets in or out of context and say this is unacceptable, that's fine. I don't believe that's what happened. I firmly believe that the New York Times knew exactly what they were getting into when they hired her. Her past has not been hidden. Anybody who would hire Quinn Norton and, and actually approach her, and that's what happened, she was approached by the New York Times, mm-hmm. knows who she is. They know her writing, they know her style, and they know the people that she has supported in the past. They know her controversies. I, I knew all this. If, if me, layperson Christina Warren, even as, as Heidi Moore points out, she's like, well, you know everything about the internet. Okay, fine. But if I know this, people at the New York Times who were hiring her, especially for a senior editorial board position, know this. I feel like they just didn't anticipate the backlash. And rather than owning their hire and saying, we might not agree with everything that a person says, and we might not agree with the people that they choose to, you know, defend or not defend, but, but, but you know, still talk to d- despite their views, we are defending our, our, our decision to hire this person. But rather than defending that, but rather than owning their hire, I, I feel like they were cowards and that they, they, they just kind of let the Twitter mob say, okay, well, we've changed our mind. And, and to me, it's I like... Just, I think it's so notable that David Brooks can write the most asinine, stupid column I've ever read in my <laughs> life on yep. women's reproductive health care access, and he gets a pass. Right. Another jackass over at the Times writes a thing saying, oh, well, you know, if Woody Allen did indeed rape a child, it was just this one time. Exactly. So exactly. I was, yeah, I was actually just going to say, like, I, right. I, how, I, I don't have I don't know enough about uh, Quinn Norton to speak to what you've been saying, Christina. Right. But I feel like the, the New York Times perhaps is feeling the heat from their extremely bad opinions that have sure. been happening i mean but that I mean, maybe. doesn't but i would rather have a woman who has a deep understanding of 4chan in these communities no matter how i feel about her her what she said in the past i would rather have her than david brooks yeah <laughs> no, i mean brooks, if i had exactly. someone to a taqueria no and, I mean, and thought and, that the language there was confusing her and then took her to a, a low rent place that is the kind of jackass david brooks is uh, no no he should and, and not done, have a job here i mean, so, I mean Brett, oh, no and david brooks yeah. will have a have a column in the new york times until the day he dies i mean and you know brett stevens you know they they, they post from the wall street journal you know barry right. weiss who oh. even though i i i I don't hate all of her work. You know, she's written bad things this week too. You yep. know, there, there, there's, there's been so many bad takes. I just, I look at this and what bothers me is 
I don't believe for a second that the New York Times didn't know exactly who she was, didn't know exactly what she wrote. And they might not have known every tweet. They might not, not have known some of like, the 4chan speak tweets, which honestly, when you just look at them in, in, in without of context, they're terrible. But if you look at them in context, they're not great, but it makes it completely different. Um I feel like, and, and it's part of culture, it's part of kind of your beat as a writer. I feel like uh, as a reporter, I feel like, you know, own your hire. They knew who they were getting. It, it, it'd be like, you know, when, when a company hires me, they know who I am. You know, I make that clear when I interview. They make that clear with what they do. I don't believe for a second that the New York Times, you know, that's supposed to be the greatest journalistic institution on the planet is going to approach someone to write for them and then not read their most recent medium post, which, you know, uh, links to her <laughs> own past negative views and talks about how she has, you know, friends who are racist. Like that that's the most, you know what I mean? Like you know who you're hiring and and I feel like it's cowardly to then the the internet mob gets mad at you and you can't handle it. So then you fire the person, you know, hours later. Like I that's what I have a problem with. Like yeah. own your own your decision to hire someone or don't. But don't do this don't do this thing where where you can't you you can't take the criticism. I, I feel like I do have to say it, though, if you are not specifically a, a gay man, don't use that F word. Just don't. I mean, I agree with you. Yeah. I, just I, just I, don't. It's not cute. It's not funny. I don't no, want to I agree with you. I mean, I, I, I don't want to hear I, about how you're a queer activist on Twitter. I no, don't know I agree. this woman. I don't know if she's in the community. I don't. But just I think don't. She, I think, just I think don't. she has said that yeah. she is, but I, I'm not sure. But I'm, I'm with you. I mean, there yeah. was actually a whole article that she wrote about kind of how that word was used in certain communities. Sure. Um, but there's a difference with, in you I being agree. a journalist and writing that word I, I, and then I agree 100%. doing it on Twitter. So I agree 100. Sure, I, I'm, I'm not defending that. I'm not defending anything she said. What I am saying is that I feel like the New York Times knew what they were getting into, couldn't handle the critique, and and then fired her. And I have a real problem with that. I have a real problem with with um you know. I also feel like in, in some cases, and I, I'm not saying this is the same thing because it's not. There is definitely a difference here. But in some of these cases, like people were mad because she retweeted the late uh uh, uh you know John Barlow, um the EFF founder, who had tweeted something sarcastically making fun of the racists about the Obama election and and people were coming at her for for using the N-word when that was the context it was being used in. And it was it was not a good tweet and it didn't come across well, but that was that was what it was about. And that's basically the same thing that happened to Sam Stein from MSNBC when he was briefly fired because of, of a of a tweet that someone read the wrong way. Um and, and then MSNBC had to to, you know, um write their wrong. So I feel like sometimes, you know, we eat our own and and you know I don't know. I, I'm just uncomfortable with this. I'm not saying that they should have hired her to begin with. I'm saying that once you do, and, and if you've looked into the background, I'm not comfortable with um, pretending like, oh, well, this was all new information. No, it wasn't. You knew who, who, who you were getting into, and now you just don't want to deal with, with, with media Twitter getting angry. Yeah, and you, I, I think you, a, another oh, sorry, third ahead. option yeah. here would just be to address whatever is going on in their opinion section in, in yeah. a different way. Like, don't hire another David Brooks. Don't hire even even if you don't hire someone as volatile as Quinn Norton. Like, what wh- what is the, what is the other option here for for fixing what is happening uh, in that section? And I guess at at the the organization in general. Like, I, I appreciate their the legacy of the New York Times and a lot of what they do, but it, it does seem like there have been some missteps lately and. Not maybe not standing behind this hire was one. Maybe the hire in the first place was one. I can't say, but they're they're having some problems. 
there is there is a really big choice we have right now with like American leadership in general. Um, you know, Ellen Powell is a friend of mine. I like Ellen a lot. Ellen is someone who is very hyper careful about everything she says, and she really doesn't speak until she's really thought very carefully about how it's going to be perceived. That, generally speaking, is the status quo of how things work at corporations and for politicians and, you know, all of that. I'm not, there's, that is a perfectly valid choice to have. But when you call your talent pool about who gets to write for the New York Times or who gets to be a politician or who gets to have a TV show or who gets to be a journalist, from that pool of people that think and process information in that way, you're leaving out a huge group of people that have thoughts. And, you know, people like, you know, people that have said things that are interesting and maybe a little bit controversial. I really worry that we are creating a society where you can just lazily Google the F word and then like get someone fired because of that. I'm, right. I'm absolutely not defending her. I'm just saying the right. outrage machine, it's out of context. Uh, another example of this, this drives me crazy with political coverage. You know, I have people that come after me because my opponent, you know, has like you look up gay rights, like bill things, and like he has voted with the Democratic Party X percent of the time. And it's like this lazy Google search thing to find it. But when you're like thinking about context, when you're thinking about leadership, when you're thinking about who's actually gone there and brought bills across the finish line, there's a more complicated story there. This is the problem with Twitter is it lets everyone feel like they're hyper well-informed when in fact you're judging a person by a sentence. I've certainly been a victim of that. Christina, I imagine it's happened to you. Absolutely. And if you don't want to be measured by this yardstick, don't play this game. Uh, I just, I think it's, I think it leads us with poor leadership overall. Mm-hmm. Well said. All right. What are we up to this week? Bree, what are you doing? I'll I'm make you healing. talk a little more. You're healing because you're very sick. Frank I was very, very sick. sick. Frank is on Tamiflu, which they do not bust out unless you're really gone. Um, oh, man. Geez. So I um, am on two steroids and two antibiotics right now myself. So, uh. Uh, yeah, it's been a busy week. Um, so, yeah, I'm healing this week. And Christina, Grant is also sick. Um, <laughs> yes, uh, he's finally better. But, yeah, he was also sick. Um, I'm finally going to do my HomePod uh, comparison. Oh. So that was going to be something we talked about this week, but I didn't have a chance. So I did buy a HomePod last week, um, but then my husband had to go to the ER twice, and so I haven't even had a chance to, to deal with it. But I will I will uh, do a full-on HomePod versus two Sonos Ones comparisons. And I'm going to write a whole thing, but I also want to talk about it on the show a little bit. So I'm going to be doing that this week. Um, and then I've got a bunch of stuff going on at work. Um, we announced the dates for uh, for, for uh, Microsoft Build, our big developer conference. Um, it will be it, actually, I guess, tickets go on sale uh, on uh, February 15th. So as you're listening to this, you you can uh, you can register for the conference. It's going to be in Seattle this year, and I'm going to be a, a big part of that. I'm going to be involved in that. So I'm excited. Um, so if, if you're, you know, working with any Microsoft adjacent stuff or, you know, part of the Azure community or whatever, and you're at build, be sure to, to, uh, reach out and say, Hey, um, cause I'd love to, uh, love to see you. And of course the, the, you know, the standard, if I, if you're in a rocket shirt, um, oh. I will buy you drink a thing. Yes. Always, the always rule applies. still stands. It, it totally does. So 
Um, but yeah, that, um, I've just got, so I've got some work stuff I kind of can't talk about that I'm excited about and, uh, the HomePod comparison. Cool. So also I bought a rose gold, uh, MacBook. So we'll, we should just get all <gasps> yes! of our reviews done we next should. week. Yeah. We should get the Peloton, yeah. HomePod and the new MacBook to tell you Sounds how much good. better it is than the old one. That'll be fun. That'll be a, a, we'll an exciting, fun show. Week. Yes. Well, this week I am doing one large thing, which is a long live stream on Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern oh. on Polygon's YouTube channel. Uh, we are doing another Winter Games-themed stream, Polygon versus SB Nation. And we're playing Mario and Sonic at the Winter Games 2014 because they didn't make a new one this year. So we have to play the old one, but that's fine. Uh, and I'm and I'm going on the record and saying that we will destroy them. We will destroy oh, yeah, SB will. Nation. Um, and oh, we yeah. will... <laughs> yes. the, whoever is left standing at that network uh, will work for Polygon afterwards. Uh, and we will will maximize our content by 150% with our new employees, formerly SB Nation's employees. Uh, SB Nation will be stricken from the internet. Uh, not even Wayback Machine will archive it. Uh, and Polygon forever. That's all I have to say about what's going to happen then. I want them beaten. I want them broken. Simone. Absolutely. Oh, no, Polygon <laughs> forever. I, I, yeah, Polygon forever, man. Thank Can I get you. a t-shirt that says that actually? Sure. I'll talk to Grant about it. <laughs> Please do, because I will totally 100% like buy one. And, and by Grant, one I meant on, my um, boss, not your husband. No, no, in no. That I, I understood that. No, but if, if, you, if I legit get one, I will wear it on uh, this week in Channel 9. Oh, my God. Okay. I do have to get that done. I do have to get that done then. I want that. I want those Channel 9 views, Christina. <laughs> oh, we got a new YouTube uh, channel, by the way. If anybody wants to subscribe to all of our content videos, we are youtube.com slash Microsoft Developer. That is our, our, our new URL. Oh, my I God. Guess. So now I know, I'm, I'm going to go to my YouTube app to like watch Porsche videos and Nerf gun reviews. Now I'm going to be seeing Christina Warren there every day. That'll be Oh, awesome. totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. No, we, we shot uh, our episode uh, last week in San Francisco when I was there. And uh, it, was, it was actually really funny because we were trying to shoot in Yerba Buena. And this woman comes up. She's like, you need a permit to shoot here. You've got all this stuff. And it's like, we have a tripod and a, you know, <laughs> DSLR. Okay. So we like went across the street. But we, but a camera, uh, a video editor and shooter, he left in like us getting yelled at by security at the beginning a little bit. So you kind of see us getting yelled at and then, or see me getting awesome. yelled at in, in the stand up and then, then moving over. So it was pretty funny. Yes. Is that the uh, TWC9 one? Yes. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I, I just went to your channel, and the first thing that greeted me was you and your face talking. I know. So I, I, know. I just put I that link say. in the show notes for anyone who Yay, wants it. Excellent. Uh, where yeah, else can yeah, we yeah. find you online? Uh, you can find me at film underscore girl on the Twitters, the Instagrams, and uh, it, other platforms. Noise. Brianna? Uh, you can find me at Space Cat Gal on Twitter, though I think I've spent sent like four tweets this week so good that's the correct amount of tweets zero would be better always uh you can find me on twitter at doom quasar and at youtube.com slash polygon where of course we stream a lot thanks everyone for listening to this episode of rocket if you liked it tell a friend about it generate a controversy and of course you can always go to apple podcasts and give us a rating or a review if you are so inclined this episode of Rocket is terminated. 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 <laughs>